the Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTD, MFD and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. On this week's podcast, we will discuss the latest positive news from the British manufacturing sector over the last seven days and we'll interview another special guest. Oliver North, the CEO of Britain's leading emergency vehicle manufacturing group, Venari. This is going to be another great podcast. Joining me, as always, is Stuart Whitehead. Stuart, welcome. Morning, Joe. Come for weeks. So, yep, lots of stories to cover. Really looking forward to it. Let's jump straight in then with AstraZeneca. Great news. Yeah, the Anglo-Swedish group has unveiled its new £1 billion R&D facility in Cambridge. Officially opened this week by Prince Charles, more than 2,000 scientists will be employed at the Discovery Centre, the pharmaceutical giant's largest single-site investment to date. The new facility will include the most advanced robotic, high-throughput screening and AI-driven technology, supporting AZ's focus on specialised medicines. And AZ, you know, huge company. They employ more than 80,000 people, operate in over 100 countries, and its medicines are used by millions of patients worldwide. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a massive site, isn't it? It's a, that would be an interesting tour for sure. Uh, the next story, uh, metal packaging, it, it, you know, there's set to be a new facility in Northern Ireland. Yeah, our, our day, uh, metal packaging AMP, is supplied to Coca-Cola, has announced plans to build a new £149 million beverage can manufacturing plant, and this is one of Northern Ireland's largest ever industrial investments. Um, this will base at Global Point business part near Belfast. Um, details on precise job numbers are still being finalised, um, but it will lead to well over 100, possibly 200 jobs, looking at uh, different reports for engineers, technicians and other roles. Um, AMP is currently at the pre-planning and application stage, actively engaged with local stakeholders on the project, and further details of the plan will be announced over the coming months. There's also an update from uh, TVR, you know, this this new car that's going to hit the ground any time now. Well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, this has been talked about now for a couple of years, the the, the, the new um, the new Griffith. But um, TVR set to open its new manufacturing plant in Ebervale early next year. The, these are the latest reports. The reborn British sports car manufacturer has announced a joint venture with Lithium Mining Company, um, EMC, which I believe are based in Australia, which is set, which um, will both help fund production of the forthcoming Griffith and ensure the supply chain of TDR's future battery requirements. So not too much detail, but hopefully that's going to happen in the first quarter. For sure. The, the next one, ZF Group. Um, there'll, be no, there'll be no strangers to people on this podcast. Most people will know uh, of, of ZF, but they'll open up a new facility in the UK. It's great confidence from the, the German-owned company. Absolutely. So, yeah, the, um, as you say, the German-owned automotive firm, uh, they've officially opened its new £70 million technical centre in Solihull. Um Located in the heart of the UK's automotive industry, the new 220,000 square foot um, technical centre will be home to around about 700 employees, but there is room for growth. Um, the site features latest technology and infrastructure for developing advanced solutions for the automotive sector, including autonomous electric and connected mobility projects. Um, ZF says the facilities design and architecture underpin the group sustainable sustainability strategy to common neutrality by 2040. And obviously, a great couple of weeks at Solly Hill. We covered the, the Norton's new factory a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, good place to live if you are in the manufacturing world at the moment. But we'll take a, a short pause, if you don't mind, Stuart, from the from the latest news. And we've uh, introduced this week's special guest, 
It's no other than Oliver North, the CEO of Britain's leading emergency vehicle manufacturing group, Venari. Oliver, welcome back. How are you doing, Joe? Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Just for uh, just for the people that didn't listen to out the, f- the first podcast, it's probably, what, six, seven months ago. Can you just bring us up to speed with your career today, your current role and responsibilities, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Oliver North, CEO of Venari Group. Uh, we are based in, in Brickhouse, West Yorkshire. Um, Venari was set up in 2019, actually, as the, as the vehicle to, to make the acquisition of the UK's oldest and largest ambulance manufacturer, uh, O&H Vehicle Technology. Um, I basically uh, worked in the emergency vehicle market uh, for 10 years uh, before that point. Um, and um, uh, I was my company was actually acquired by uh, a global leading emergency vehicle builder with a turnover of uh, well over a billion euros. So, uh, so once once I was acquired by uh, by the Austrian company, uh, a couple of years down the line, I was um, as as warned by my previous chairman, uh, put in the pigeonhole and and had had the wings clipped and and and. And, uh, and told to stay in only my territory. So, with Brexit looming and and obviously, um, you know the, the 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 drum of UK manufacturing needing to be needing to be banged, uh, I left uh, I left a, com- a really comfortable role which I was doing in second gear as well. To be honest, uh, to turn around O&H Vehicle Technology, which were at the time private equity, equity owned, um, and 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 so yeah, so I went in there at the start of two thousand nineteen. And then by the summer, uh, I could see it was, uh, you know, the turnaround was well and truly on. Uh, they had such a good pedigree of manufacturers in there, uh, a really good capability. It just needed the potential unlocking, really. So, so I made the acquisition and we formed Venari as the parent company. Uh, then at the start of 2020, uh, we took on the second factory um, here in West Yorkshire. And, uh, and then, of course, we were all bit hit by, uh, by covid uh, you know, and obviously we're all in the uh, in the same boat. But you know, in our in our case, we were you know we were <laughs> proud owners of a of a new factory, and and all the orders uh, that we were going to fill it with uh, were were naturally moved to the right. So um, uh, so so we, we were staring down the barrel, so to speak. But you know, we carried on doing what we do best. We manufactured. Uh, we had uh, a good order book of ambulances to to get through, and even though supply chain was uh, was failing everywhere. Uh, we we acquired, we purchased new machinery, um, sophisticated machines, and we be, we became our own supplier uh, as well. And, and it kind of fast tracked us into into really ramping up and gearing up for for self sufficiency, I suppose. Uh, and then I think we were we were recognised by uh, by the NHS Ambulance Trust for doing as such, and uh, and in that we were then approached by the Department of Health. And then we got involved in uh, engineering, designing, uh, manufacturing and delivering uh, mobile COVID test facilities, uh, which we delivered around the country uh, successfully. So we just completed our 201st uh, test facility uh, delivery. Um, and then and then alongside that, then obviously we were, we were observing, or I was certainly observing and really reading about uh, the ventilator challenge by Ford Motor Company and kind of, uh, you know, their achievements that they were doing with that was 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 breathtaking. You know, 12,000 ventilators in in 90 days. 
uh, by the the Ford, McLaren, and Airbus team, of course, uh, and Penland. Um, you know, it was it was really inspirational at the time. And then and then at that time, uh, Ford, who had really got the bug for using UK manufacturing and engineering for uh, for humanitarian benefits, really, they approached us um, with an ambition to uh, to engineer and design, uh, and and for us both to manufacture. Uh, the world's most state-of-the-art ambulance. So Project Siren uh, was commenced and we successfully delivered that in in breakneck speed, I'd say, as in uh, a new concept from ground up uh, to delivery and serial production ready in in 12 months. Um, Then we announced our third factory at the start of this year, uh, which uh, is commissioned in the Q2 of 2022, which is uh, on Ford's Dagenham facility as part of the regeneration of Dagenham. Um, and then during which time we, we confirmed the successful turnaround um, of, of the UK's oldest and largest manufacturer, O&H Vehicle Technology, uh, with its re- return to profit. So even though so I'd say Minari is more being forged <laughs> through uh, uh, through a tough time, to be honest, and in you know, it really made us, we really had to roll our sleeves up as, as many, you know, many, many, many UK manufacturers have had to do. But um, I think if anything, it's, it's taught us, um, you know, when we're up against, when our backs are against the wall, we, um, I think that's when we come into our own as, as a, you know, as a nation of manufacturers and, you know, we do, we do some really good stuff. Yeah, sure. And you mentioned the turnaround and getting back into profit. You, 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 it's, a, it's a bit of, bit of a, almost a bit of a throwaway comment from yourself. There's obviously been a lot of hard graft to get to break even or even making a profit. Mm. So what, what do you think sets you apart? What makes you just that little bit different that's making you so successful? Do you know what? I always think we, we speak about this internally quite a lot, actually. And, and um, you know, it was... I'd left a company that uh, you know that I founded and that was then acquired uh, and, and rebranded into this this Austrian brand. And you know, I used to tell my customers, "Look, we're we're still North Fire. We're just wearing lederhosen now. We're just in this Austrian <laughs> dress with the Austrian brand now." But you know, it's the culture at the, at the company never wavered, uh, which is why we were so unbeatable. So then, going from you know that well polished machine. Um, which allowed me to operate in second gear, to be honest, um, you know, and going into something completely broken. It, that was that was my introduction to, um, you know, the hard face of old-fashioned UK manufacturing with, you know, with, you know, unions that are completely working against management and, and vice versa. You know, that's not me blaming, uh, you know, the, the union. Uh, however, you know, in 2000. Uh, well, at the start of this year, at the start of 2021, uh, my guys over in over in Ghoul at ONH, they actually held a ballot and and uh, they voted to, um, to to de-recognize the union in favour of having a direct relationship with me. So, you know, once once we cracked the culture, you know, we're it's we call ourselves a family business. You know, we, we're a family. We're all in it together. Um, you know, and as I tell as I tell the guys. Um, you know, on the on the shop floor, just look at the cleaner. Look how how hard the cleaner works. She, you know, she does not stop grafting. If if everyone on the shop floor works as hard as the cleaner, 
then we will absolutely dominate our competitors who are who are uh, our main competitor being a, a significantly sized German manufacturer. So, you know, we we've cracked the culture. We've got the work ethic is is now. You know, the guys have gone through the gears on the shop floor, and and just to bring in modern, more sophisticated processes. You know, from purchase order to to vehicles driving out of the door. Um, you know, we have to be as slick in terms of processes as we are on the shop floor. It's not all down to the guys on the shop floor. Of course, it's down to to everyone. You know, equally in the office. Um, so. So I think I just think the culture and you know it was, you know without question you know I had back in the day I'm talking back in the day now I you know I did seven seven years in the in the British Army, uh, which you know I loved my time in there and that was the place that really taught me how to you know that taught me what a work ethic is, um, you know but the turnaround, you know give me <laughs> give me four basic trainings back to back. Um, you know, I would find that easier than than the effort of the turnaround. As in, it, it was um, it's something else, you know. So, so I think um, you know these companies that do go through a turnaround successfully, um, it's you know it's a really you know, and I observe and read more about those stories now, uh, more intently because um, yeah, it's it's not it's not an easy thing. It's it's a hard thing, and you know. Changing the culture of being a, an old-fashioned British manufacturer, you know, with militant kind of uh, fractious relationships, to you know, positive cultures. I think you know that culture can drive everything, and then you know, you can you can drive the change together um, more compliantly. I'd say. Morning, Oliver. Thanks for joining us again. Um, fascinating to hear about your year. It's been an astonishing year by all accounts. Um, just on that, in terms of your background, that thought, you know, ex-military, are you more? I know that you there's a large-scale recruitment drive going on at the moment with Venari for the various sites. Um, does that make you more inclined to take ex-services people on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the um, I think you know something that you're absolutely guaranteed with with service leavers uh, is is that kind of work ethic thing, and and you know, I know that people are torn uh, on on military. You know, ex-military people. You know, um, but the you know we've we've got. I think we've got now about fifteen percent of our shop floor here at headquarters um, are ex-military uh, people, and you know the you know the work ethic and the togetherness is, is something they naturally understand because that's really bred uh, bred into them. And and obviously, you know, there are those that that come out and, and kind of you know refuse to change from the institutionalized kind of ways that, that are taught in there. But, um, you know, there is a, a certain level of, of mentoring, as in, for example, my military mentor, uh, a guy called Mark Gresty, um, he taught me everything uh, in, the, in, the, in the army. Uh, and as a result, you know, I went through the, through the ranks quicker than uh, I was fast-tracked, really, and, and you know, I was... Uh, I did. I did well in there because you know I had a good mentor to you know keep me on the straight and narrow and and and, and teach me you know how to do it. So then, equally, then when when he went through the through the ranks in the military and uh, he got up to the rank of major, he came out. He asked me to mentor him out here uh, right at the start of the, the turnaround. So he came into to own H vehicle technology at the start of the turnaround, and I knew what I'd get would be 
you know, a good conflict resolution guy uh, who who would concentrate solely on that togetherness and the on the culture. Whilst I'm with customers and uh, and trying to secure contracts and, and orders, you know, I knew that all you know there'd be no relenting on the uh, on the togetherness and the co- conflict resolution element, really. So. Uh, so, so I kind of mentored him into being a, a civilian and, and shaking off his, um, um, you know, certain elements of, of military behaviour that would uh, or could have, you know, acted as a, a bit of a blocker, you know. But but he's you know, he's absolutely flying. He's doing he's doing a great job, and he's been working on the Department of Health contracts for uh, for the last twelve months. In, you know, in a really organised. Uh, professional fashion so so yeah ex-military people are um you know as long as they manage right and and i suppose inspired you know because they come up come from a place you know with great leaders you can't just expect them to be uh, to automatically do well you know with a bit of mentorship you know they'll be they're among they're amongst my best guys on the shop floor without question no, absolutely and uh, the you brought it up, up, up to date with the Ford project and Project Siren. Um, any other projects that you're currently working on or pending that you can divulge today? Um, give us an overview of what's likely to be happening in the next few months and into next year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, alternative fuels, and you know, in particular, I'd say you know, with uh, you know, COP26 has been the um, you know the marker in the sand as to look this. This is now past the point where where we should be progressing on uh, on you know, electrification. Is it hydrogen? Is it electrification? Is it hybrid? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So we're working on some exciting projects in uh, in the in the bigger vehicle space market uh, with with electrification, particularly leaning towards the the fire and rescue market. So uh, we've been absent from the uh, from the red stuff. Let's just say. Um, you know, in our in our quest to, to really tear up trees and uh, and provide something world class in the ambulance market, but but going back to Project Siren, I think you know having the you know, the team from Ford Dunton, um, I think I think we've spoken previously, Stuart. You know, I think I think Ford Dunton is one of UK manufacturing's best kept secrets. You know, just with the facilities they've got down there, um, it's you know it's it's been an eye opener for me but you know we've created a product there that is you know designed from the ground up genuinely world beating in terms of the industry so naturally we've had a lot of uh, export clients uh, big uh, health ministers from uh, from various other regions of the of the globe um, discussing major contract supplies so it won't be long until we're exporting um, in, a, in a major way and again, that that allows us to ramp up the headcount from the new Dagenham facility, uh, and and obviously naturally we'll have to grow factory footprints uh, accordingly in line with with an increasing demand as well, of course. So so it, it's all to go for, and you know we you know I'd rather I think you know as I've said to to you, Joe and Stuart before, I'd rather I'd rather fail fighting for UK manufacturing than succeed in second gear. Um, employed by by a huge continental organization really no, absolutely and uh, great to hear about the um the job you're creating final question for me and um, broader question really the market for emergency vehicles in the uk um what do you see as the threats and and more interestingly what do you see as the opportunities for, for the market 
threat, Stu, I'd, I'd say, I think it's a, it's a good question as well. And I think naturally as a nation, we, we're very, you know, polite and, and, and not wanting to offend, aren't we? And, and you know, but I, I suppose the, the elephant in the room is the fact that, you know, we, we are absolutely still procuring according to EU procurement law. Uh, and you know what is EU procurement law? It's it's an interpretation uh, of certain words. Where you know, if you have a look in our market, in let's say, for example, Germany, uh, then and you know, I've spoken to some German fire chiefs and ambulance chiefs uh, whilst in the country. Uh, and when I when I do ask them, you know, would you consider something British built for uh, for your for your vehicle requirements? That you know they they say, no, of course not, because, you know, it's funded by the, the German taxpayer. Therefore, German taxpayers have to build it because then the tax that those people pay whilst they're building it goes back into the same pot that's funding it in the first place. So then when you ask the same question over here, you know, we I think we, you know, our procurement departments, public sector procurement departments are very, very conscious of uh, overly fairness because, you know, there's a, a case of, you know, Liability and people don't want uh, to upset anyone and and all the rest of it. So so naturally, I think you know the emergency services, particularly in the in the ambulance industry. Um, you know, up until very very recently, uh, I think we were about eighty percent of ambulances were imported from outside of the UK. But since two thousand nineteen and since you know uh, O and H turned around and we've we've had a concerted push. Uh, there's another. Um, relatively decent, I'll say, uh, UK manufacturer of ambulances. But now, you know, with the, a national framework uh, being announced, we're now one and two. So, so th- there's been a there's been a shift there. However, you know, I think um, I don't even think it's the, the you know the the revenue that's generated the additional revenue that's generated for the economy when when UK public sector buys from, from UK manufacturing, obviously that's, that's one obvious benefit, but you know, it's the bigger one for me is that it gives us the platform to innovate from and drive forward from, from and push forward from. And because we're such a, a big market here in the UK, you know, if, if we're given the opportunity to drive innovation by our public sector in the first place, then it means that we can create something that's worthy to be exported and he's desirable from an export context. And then it allows us to drive exports as well as uh, dominating our home markets, of course. So so I think it's definitely a cyclical thing that then grows um, success outwards. Um, and it's it's just a, you know, is it an awkward conversation with, you know, with people to say, look, as part of these tenders that go out, we should, you know, we should absolutely score additional points if it's manufactured in this country, you know, and it's it's a no-brainer. It absolutely should, uh, but it's I suppose it's you know whichever procurement officer is willing to say to place that as a as a prerequisite in a in a tender. Yeah, interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it always do as you've always done type scenario. If you're not too careful, isn't it? So yeah, no, interesting. Yeah. What 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 do you think of the opportunities for British manufacturers? You know, in the post-pandemic world in general? Do you know what, Joe? I think, you know, I'm, I'm fully, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally, I'm an optimist anyway. It's, it's down to our FD to, to be the pessimist on the board. But the, um, 
you know, I think in particular, and, you know, I listen to, to you guys constantly and I think you guys do a brilliant, brilliant job, of course, of, of banging the, the UK manufacturing drum. But, you know, I don't think anything is, is kind of exaggerated. I think, you know, uh, Stuart, you regularly say, I think, six out of the ten Formula One teams uh, are based here in the UK for a reason. You know, I think we, when something exceptional needs manufacturing, uh, here is certainly the place to do it, particularly in automotive. Um, and I think, you know, with with really exciting companies coming through, such as Arrival, with the the micro factories, as they call it, albeit in SME world, that's not very micro. <laughs> you know, it's... it's it's, there's, there's some there's some really exciting prospects and you know that's why you know I genuinely like uh, and do look out for the, the factory now posts on on Twitter and and your stuff out on LinkedIn Stu and, and Joe in terms of you know contract wins for UK manufacturers and, and new factories and and things like this as in I think we've got a really op- a really good opportunity to press the reset button and and start really driving forward you know we've got brilliant people in this country who I think everyone now has got, you know, the bit between the teeth again. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, COVID's provided a, a bit of a soft reset for everyone to refocus and, and kind of go again. So, so I'm optimistic about UK manufacturing for the future. And I think it'll only, you know, increase and drive forward over the next couple of years. Yeah, let's hope you're right. I'm sure you are. We're starting to see it, aren't we? But if we if we hone in on Venari again, uh, what the ambitions, aspirations, you know, for Venari Group in the coming weeks, months, and years? Well, we've we've got we've got quite a a, a prudent target, I'd say. Of, um, obviously, we're we're only uh, an SME, so so you know we had a, a turnover of thirty million thirty million last year, uh, but but that grows up to just over a hundred million by two thousand twenty four. Um, and that's on a uh, on a pretty prudent basis as well. We've got obviously the um, slightly higher ambitions than that. Uh, you know, we want to get there by slightly earlier, and then obviously we've got quite a uh, an aggressive growth strategy. Uh, but you know that that can only take place um, if we, you know, if we switch in the transition from, you know, we operate in a coach builder market, and you know we. We're bringing in systems and processes now that allow for automation and semi-automation uh, in what used to be a coach builder's market. And only with that can we drive successful export opportunities uh, with, you know, and, and obviously world-class um, production quality. So, so I suppose, you know, we've got, we've got, <laughs> we've got so much to do over the next two to three years, um, at least, you know, and then obviously and beyond, uh, and I, th- I think most importantly, going back to the culture thing, you know, without losing sight um, of of what's in front of us, you know, we need to keep driving the, the culture and keep improving it, you know. And, um, you know, the main, you know, my main thing about Venari is uh, I want it to be a great place to work, as in as stupid as it sounds. And this is definitely no, uh, nothing negative towards, uh, you know, the, the former union that we had governing the people in on the shop floor in, in Ghoul. Uh, but when the guys voted to de-recognise the union because they wanted a closer relationship with me uh, as the as the CEO of the company, you know, that was one of my great... I felt like that was one of my greatest achievements in that, um, you know, it was it was flattering. The, you know, it, it highlighted their passion 
uh, for manufacturing to me. And it's so to, to keep harnessing that, keep honing it, keep you know listening to every single person on the shop floor, um, and you know making it a great place to work in line with with the growth. I think both are equally important, uh, and and obviously reducing the emissions. Uh, driving a, a really strong environmental strategy as well. And, you know, that's not a gimmick in something that's a box that should be ticked. That's something we've all got an obligation to do. And, you know, now every every project siren ambulance that's manufactured, for example, uh, we plant a tree uh, and then that tree is given a name, but the name is the, the VIN number of that vehicle. So, um, uh, and in in conjunction with that as well, here in the factory, you know, obviously we've got the ISO 14001 accreditation, but uh, we need to drive that forward uh, and become carbon neutral as, as soon as physically possible as well. Uh, so so I'd say both, you know, well, across all counts, economically and environmentally, um, you know, and operationally for the frontline users as well, uh, everything's got to be as good as it can be. And it, until all of those aspects are perfect, uh, then... You know, we can't unroll our sleeves, that's it. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, you're doing a pretty good job. But uh, thank you so Bye. much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Um, Excuse you. And you haven't had a day off yet, so this doesn't class as a day off. I know I haven't had a day off since the formation of, of Venari, actually. And, and uh, um, no, it's not a day off, although, you know, I do, you know, it should work, be worth pointing out that if anyone, you know, is feeling good about themselves or confident in what they've done, uh, just speak to Stuart before the podcast and he'll bring you down a peg or 17. So he comes across so professional on the podcast, but anyone who will know who, he's, who he interviews, uh, they're already knocked down a peg or 17 <laughs> before coming on. So if anyone sounds unconfident at the start, uh, that's the reason. <laughs> Cheers, Oliver. Thanks, Oliver. Appreciate it. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks, both. Good to speak to you. Another great interview, Stuart. Pleasure to have him on as always. Absolutely. We, we need to uh, feature him every three months. The, the, the rate of uh, change and uh, growth at that company is extraordinary, isn't it? It is for sure. Incidentally, if you want to join us on the podcast, please do reach out to us at podcast at mtdmfg.com. And also, we don't get time to cover all the news on the podcast, so please go to mtdmfg.com or better still, download the app for Android or for iPhone. Stuart, going back on with the news, uh, some, some some brilliant news about the Trent Engine program, the Rolls Royce Trent Engine program. Yes, um, Rolls Royce is celebrating the de- delivery of its one uh, one thousand Trent XWB eighty four, the world's most efficient aero engine, and uh, achieving another key milestone for the program. The Derby built engine will will power an Airbus A three fifty. Following its entry into service in twenty fifteen. The engine quickly became the fastest selling um, large engine of all time. It's now achieved over 8 million flying hours in service with more than 30 operators across the world. And whilst we're talking about Rolls, um, Rolls-Royce, there's some more good news about the, uh, the Lancashire factory. Absolutely, yeah. So the long-term feature of Rolls-Royce is one set in Bon Oswick uh, factory in Lancashire has been secured after a new deal was agreed. Following a ballot, workers at the plants have accepted an enhanced, an enhanced agreement extending protections previously secured last year. And this includes a commitment that manufacturing will continue at the site for at least a decade. The deal comes after the site's future was left hanging in balance early last year when Rolls-Royce announced it intended to trans- transfer much of its jet engine blade production to Singapore, which obviously jeopardised hundreds of British jobs. 
Yeah, continuing the aerospace theme, uh, great news for Airbus and their, and their supply chain here in the UK. They've had a very successful Dubai air show. Absolutely. This is the first major air show since the pandemic struck a couple of years ago. Um, customers demonstrated confidence in, re- in the recovery of the aviation sector, which obviously we've covered a few times on the podcast, and also in Airbus by placing orders and commitments totaling 480 aircraft. That's 269 firm orders and 139 commitments. The aerospace giant secured orders from a host of operators, including Indigo, um, Airlead Corporation, and Jazeera Airways. Great news for the wing plant in Broughton, and obviously the, the UK's aerospace supply chain. Yeah, and the next story, it's more automotive-based. Uh, so a, a British truck manufacturer, they've, uh, they've raised money to you know push forward their development. What can you tell us about this one? Yeah, so a story again we, we covered a few months ago, um, but this is an update. So the electric and hydrogen truck pioneer Tiva has announced it successfully raised more than £42 million from investors, and this will go towards fitting out its brand new um, factory in London um, and scale-up manufacturing. The fundraise swiftly follows the launch of the new Tiva truck, the company's first 7.5-ton electric truck designed for mass production. The firm intends to produce 3,000 trucks per annum by 2023, which should create um, around 1,000 skilled jobs um, directly and, you know, across the supply chain. So good news. Absolutely. And the UK's first hydrogen uh, fleet is set to be built as well. Yes. So train maker Alstom has signed a deal to share their knowledge so that they can build the UK's uh, first fleet. To say the Derby-based manufacturer signed a memorandum of understanding with rail operator and financier Eversholt at Eversholt uh, Rail to design, build, commission and support a fleet of 10 hydrogen-powered trains. Two companies will share the technical and commercial information uh, for Alstom to develop the new fleet in the UK, which would be based on the Eventra Loco, which is currently built in, in Derby. Alstom hopes final contracts of the fleet will be signed early next year. So we've covered the automotive sector. We've covered aerospace, you know, extensively on this podcast. But there's good news coming out of the CBI, which obviously calls a, you know, covers a broad spectrum of sectors. Absolutely, yeah. We, we got this just a few minutes before the podcast. So British manufacturers order books in the three months of November grew the fastest rate on record, which uh, goes back to um, the early 70s. Firms reported output increases in 12 out of 17 manufacturing subsectors. And I'm very optimistic this growth will accelerate next quarter. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? What great news that is to finish a podcast. But yeah, as I say, we don't always get time to cover the news. We've got to cut this one short, as we always do. Go to mtdmfg.com to uh, find out all the latest news. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on LinkedIn. Um, big thank you to Stuart. A massive thank you to Oliver North of Benari Group. And as always, the biggest thank you goes to you at home for listening. We'll see you next week. Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.